0: Good morning. The scripture this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. Please follow along with me on the screen or on your Bibles. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out to the temple. This is the Word of God.
1: Well, Jesus says a lot of controversial stuff. <laughs> Um, I think anybody who reads the Gospels, just a little bit even, begins to see that. He makes a lot of people angry pretty quickly. And so that's why uh, the sermon's titled this morning, The Most Controversial Statement uh, or Thing Jesus Ever Said. And um, so he says a lot of things that make people mad, and a lot of different groups too. Um, So we have the most controversial thing Jesus said in our passage. Um, It's the most dramatic I am statement ever. (laughs) I I don't want to overuse ever here, but it is very dramatic. Um, And there's a lot to learn from this passage. So we'll begin with our points here. So our first, racism um, or race is not tied to grace. It's our first point. So if you want to write that down, uh, it might be written down actually for you. Uh, Second, the most controversial thing Jesus ever said. And third, racism destroys unity. So those are our three points this morning, Um, just to kind of hang our hats on as we think and reflect on this uh, large passage. As you notice, too, the passage kind of carries over from the last. So last week, what Bob said is going to kind of tie into this week. It's all connected. Um, So our first point, grace is not tied to race. Okay, so we're in John 8. Um, Earlier in verse 31, so a a text Bob spoke about, um, John says that the Jews are disciples of Jesus, essentially. Uh, Soon, though, it becomes very clear, so he says, you know, uh, Jesus said to the disciples who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. Um, And so what we see here, it becomes very clear that their ancestry, their ties to Abraham, um, physical ties, Secured them before God. Their ethnic identity secured them before God. And so Jesus tells them one controversial thing. He says, um, They're children of the devil, verse 47. That's pretty outlandish. I mean, to to come up to somebody and say, Hey, uh, you know, Ben or Bob or Joe or Nick, how's it going, Nick? Uh, You're a child of the devil that may make me pretty upset. When it would probably make you upset too, right? If somebody came up to you and said that, that's pretty nerve-wracking. God, I can't, I can't believe that guy said that to me. I'm a child of the devil. And so, um, especially if you're convinced that you're following God. And so these Jews, you know, they were thinking of Bible passages. Um, Israel um, uh, is my firstborn son, Exodus 4, and I am Israel's father, Deuteronomy 14. And so they're going, I have my Bible text. No, I'm a, I'm a child. And uh, so they respond by questioning Jesus' paternity. It's kind of like on the playground, on the school ground, you know. Uh, one kid says something to the other, like a your mama, your daddy joke kind of thing. And you're going to up the ante, and now you're going to say, no, your daddy or your mommy. So that's, that's kind of what they do, right? So verse 48, they, they call Jesus a Samaritan, <laughs> Are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan? Uh, them are fighting words, right? Um, so they would have perceived, this, this was an insult, a direct insult. At, at verse 41, earlier they said that, um, they essentially imply that he was born of sexual immorality. So they didn't believe in the virgin birth. They didn't believe that, you know, Jesus was um, the, the, the mother of God <laughs> in that sense. Um, Instead, they thought that, you know, he just had ties through Joseph, the stepfather. So He wasn't even really a Jew by birth, is what they're saying about Jesus. An illegitimate child is what's in their mind. Samaritan. I think like rebel scum, you know, if you just saw Rogue One. uh, Samaritan scum, you know. Um, And so what we learn from this, though, is that these people were placing their identity... Their being, who they were, in their lineage, their status, their race, and not in the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, not in the gospel itself. And so they thought the gospel of grace was tied to race. It's a really essential point for us to understand, um, because they had misplaced trust, and in the Bible, misplaced trust is uh, idolatry, and that's a sin. And, you know, usually, um, as a friend has taught me, um, we tend to think of idols as those things, those objects that are made out of wood and out of stone. Uh, But the worst kind of idols are actually, um, (laughs) the worst kind of idols are not made out of wood and stone. They're the kind of idols that um, we turn servants, good things, into gods, into lords. And so... In this case, it's being a physical descendant of Abraham. But we trust in plenty of idols too, don't we? Is your relationship, oh sorry, uh, where are you tempted to lose your true identity? Is it in a job? Is it in your sexuality, Uh, your workplace, your family life? parenting, all of these things are essentially, they're good things, right? But sometimes the good things are what we let master us and captivate our hearts more than we are captivated by the gospel. And so the question I wanted to ask is, is your love for Jesus greater than your love for other things? It's the new year, other goals, people. People kind of a reflection question for us to think about this morning. I could easily lose my identity in being a minister of the gospel and elevate that above being a sinner who is in need of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Where are you tempted to lose your identity? So the grace of God in Christ announces to generations of people who've been born privileged that their ethnicity Identity doesn't matter. In fact, it can get in the way of faith in Christ alone. <laughs> it's pretty uh, controversial. And so Jesus said that when he was approached by Nicodemus, if you remember earlier in John chapter 3, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Whoa. <laughs> Paul, too, says some outlandish things. Uh, In Galatians chapter 2, he says this, and I think it'll be up here, yep. Okay, Um, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no human being will be justified. Um, So, that's a shocking statement to the original hearers, and to us. Um, They shock us because whenever we want to close the door on a certain people group, that's where grace swings the door wide open and every nook, cranny, window, (laughs) door swings open and says, hey, come on in. The gospel's for everybody. Grace is not tied to race. Grace is the reason God sent His only begotten Son to be as we read in the call to worship, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so we might receive adoption as sons, Galatians 4. Grace was why the Son of God gave himself up to be hung on a cross. Not while we were his friends, but Paul says while we were his enemies. That's when God loved us. Grace is what justifies the ungodly. Kinds of people we think are misfits and outcasts and shouldn't really belong. (laughs) That's where the gospel actually opens the door for those kinds of people, opens the door for us. So grace isn't some kind of uh, extreme makeover. Uh, It's not a, as I had this morning, a shot of espresso for a pick me up (laughs) Um, It's not something that we can conjure up, that we can make happen uh, by trying to make grace rain down in our lives. We can't pull grace down. God came down. (laughs) Um, So grace is something different entirely. It happens when we don't expect it. Um, The boy who left faith in high school hears grace in a college where the gospel should never even be preached, public university. That's my own story. woman on the train hears grace as she makes her way into the city. All kinds of cases and examples. Probably you have your own example of how you came to believe, if you believe. And so grace throws off our expectations. It disrupts things. It contradicts us, even. John 1 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, nor by counting all of your steps or doing a New Year's resolution, but of God. So grace can't be tamed. It's rowdy. It's disorderly. Um, grace doesn't come to us because we were born into a good family. Grace doesn't come to us because of our good status, whatever that good status is in our minds or our hearts, where we think we're better than somebody else. Grace comes to us from God, by God, and through God. And so grace isn't tied to race. Only Jesus can secure that before God. But the Jews, they have this identity crisis. It's a crazy identity crisis here. I mean, they're just latched to this Their identity wasn't in Jesus. And they use, in verse 53, they use a servant of the Lord, Abraham, to attack the Lord himself. And so they say, uh, I think it's in verse 53, Are you greater than our father Abraham? Are you greater than our father Abraham? So, presumptuous thing to say. Uh, their group association with Abraham was stacked up so high that they couldn't see Jesus right in front of them. Sometimes we don't see it, you know. um, Racism doesn't have to be intentional to be racism. Um, At the end of the day, it still hurts people, right, when we are racist. Because um, the fact of the matter is people know it when we're being racist. They, they experience it. They feel the hurt. It bugs them. The pain. The loss sometimes. And, and the bottom line is when we are racist we keep people from coming to the one place on this earth where all racial divides and racial barriers and racial tensions are completely obliterated by the cross of Jesus Christ. He tears that wall down, that ethnic barrier between Jew and Gentile and any other thing in our minds that we try to exclude people from. And he breaks that down by the blood of his cross. We die together in Christ. We're raised together in Christ. We're all sinners when we get here. We're still sinners when we leave here. But by faith in Christ, we're forgiven. And so, no one's above or below a fellow Christian. We're one in Christ. Now, Jesus is the only one who's above us. And yet, that's because he came to be below us first. As our passage says, Jesus was that Samaritan. The one who nobody wanted, nobody liked. That's a low God. went to save us and so that's not the most controversial thing though that Jesus said he said something more absurd than that and so let's move on to our second point the most controversial thing Jesus ever said so he's like upping the ante here Um, so he starts off by saying this your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day he saw it and was glad verse 56 what's that referring to well it's interesting there are several things that could be alluding to here. So we have to think back to the Old Testament, and we look back and we think of um, the birth of Isaac. Anybody remember that story in the Old Testament? Um, If not, it's okay. Um, So Sarah was getting very old, and Abraham was getting very old too, and their odds of having a child were not very good. They really longed to have a child, and God promised that he would give them Isaac. And God eventually came through with that promise, and he did. But another example is Isaac. Once Abraham has this child of promise, Isaac, God tells him, hey, I want you to do something really interesting here. I want you to go sacrifice your son Isaac. Whoa. (laughs) Okay. Um, All right, Lord. And so Abraham starts to do that. He gets the pile of wood, and he throws it all together and puts Isaac on top. We're going, whoa, I came this Sunday morning to talk about human sacrifice? What's going on here? Well, God provides a ram in the thicket, a substitute for Isaac. And Abraham sees that, and he latches on and remembers God's promise. It's true. (laughs) And and it wasn't that it was just an Isaac. It was a greater promise, and and we call that a type and that type points to Jesus. So Isaac was a, an example of this greater Messiah that was to come, of Jesus. And so that's what this is referring to, that Abraham saw God's promise through the things in front of him, and yet it wasn't exactly in what he saw before him. Faith is not exactly what we see. It's the, the hope and the promise of what's to come. And that's what he latches onto, that promise. The promise of God being uh, doing what He said He would do, fulfilling what He said. And we had that clear example there, though, of, of Jesus being judged by God as a sinner, so that we would be counted as those who are forgiven and righteous. In Romans four, Paul quotes Galatians and he says this. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So Jesus got what we deserve death on a cross. And we get what he deserved eternal life through the Son. The greatest gift given. And if you've ever wondered, if you've ever had a, uh, this thought, you know, how were Old Testament people saved? How did they, you know, come to know the Lord? It's in exactly the same way that we are saved today. Through faith alone in Jesus Christ. That's how we come to know God. God in the face of Christ. And so what did Jesus say, though, that was the most controversial thing? I've been hyping this up like crazy. What is it? Well, the most controversial thing he said is verse 58. Before Abraham was... I am, (laughs) you're going, wait, how's that controversial? Let me explain, Um, well this statement doesn't mean what some televangelists try to make it say and and try to, what they try to do with this, right? Um, So there's a popular book out, it's like one of the Christian book list top sellers of the year, and it's called The Power of I Am, and it's a prosperity gospel book, and it teaches this. when you speak the right I am's, you're inviting the goodness of God. I am victorious, I am blessed, I am talented, I am anointed. Your words have creative power. With your words, you can bless your future. End quote. That's not my quote, just to be clear. Well, when Jesus said before Abraham was, I am, he didn't mean that. Um, He wasn't inviting God's goodness into his life when he said that. Uh, The only victorious, blessed, sort of good life that Jesus had was, on this earth, was to be nailed and pinned to a cross. Different kind of life than that example, right? And so Jesus' language (laughs) doesn't echo uh, that reference there, uh, some silly slogan to sell a, a bestseller. Um, But it it echoes that time when God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, in Exodus. I am who I am, is what God says to Moses. I am who I am. Or I will be who I will be. Or as the, the Bible that the Apostle Paul would have been reading, the Greek Bible, the Septuagint. I am the being. Or if we think of Revelation the book of Revelation. We think of, at the end of the Bible, it says, um, you know, the, I am the first, I am the last, the Alpha and Omega, the one who is and who was and who is to come. So Jesus is, what's crazy about that statement is he's identifying his name with God's name. He says, I am God. That's what's so controversial in this passage. Um, a ton of people... I mean, I have conversations often with people these days, you know, that try to make the claim that Jesus never said that he was God in the Bible. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. I mean, you hear it occasionally, maybe not as much anymore. Um, depends on what, who you talk to, but people often say that. And, and sometimes, you know, I, I've known um, a lot of people to get stumped on that question. Don't really know how to answer it. Can't find that sentence where Jesus says, I'm God. That's right here. Before Abraham was, I am. If Jesus just wanted to talk about preexistence, um, he would have said, Before Abraham was, I was. He's not talking about that. <laughs> he's, he's saying, I am God in this passage. And so Jesus claimed to be God, clearly. Um, he says he's the God of Abraham. And so that statement is either true or false. Jesus is either God or he's some psychopath blasphemer who should have been stoned to death before he was crucified. Which do you believe? We're confronted with this question. It's an intense question because it affects our daily life and our eternal life, doesn't it? Probably what's really crazy throughout all the gospel accounts of Jesus' ministry is we see him performing these great wonders, signs and miracles, okay? And, and he's doing these amazing things, but those are not the things that get people to pick up stones. Um, it's, uh, how do I put this? Jesus is a wonder worker. Cool, let's glorify God because of him. That was so cool. Did you see what Jesus did the other day? Oh, man, he did this. You know, he turned water into wine. He walked on water. Man, that was amazing. But those are not the things that he gets crucified for. Um, John 10.33 says this. It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. That's what the Jews thought of him. And so his enemies understood him. That he said he's God. I am God. It was crystal clear. They heard him. They didn't believe him. Do you believe him this morning? Finally, let's think about this last, the last little idea implication of this passage. Um, it's our third point. Racism destroys unity. Racism destroys unity. We're closing up here, so bear with me if you're, um, if I'm going a little long. I think I'm okay though. So okay. Um, racism destroys unity. Verse 59. So they pick up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So that was a, a schism of sorts. Um, he broke; They broke unity. And uh, what I mean by this is that when we're racist, we identify with our own group and we exclude others. Um, one uh, theologian describes racism as... Collective narcissism. Collective narcissism. I love myself and my group more than I love you. That's a really good way to put it. Um, And it destroys unity. Both the Jews and Jesus claimed Abraham, and, and that could have been this great point of unifying them, bringing them together, and instead, it divides them. And so the response was to discredit him by name-calling and dismissing him by trying to stone him, trying to kick him out. Um, were they ever really listening? That was one of the things that I came across when I was studying this passage, is when you listen to their words, they're, they're always asking these like rhetorical questions. They're not really wanting him to answer anymore. They've already made up their minds about him. They don't like him. Um, it's easy to do that. We don't listen. Um, No, he can't be God. I don't like a God like that, is kind of how they view this. And true unity is found only in the gospel. That is the only point of actual unity. Blood lineage could not link everybody together. It could not fulfill that ancient promise that God made to Abraham that through him all nations would be blessed um, if it were just through bloodline. Um, so the Jews keep claiming that they're physical descendants. Jesus gives them that. He says, sure, you're physically a descendant. But true fatherhood, true sonship is not through your ethnicity. It's through identifying with, through faith in Jesus Christ. The true Jew is the one who believes just as Abraham did in that coming Messiah. Messiah that Messiah that now we have the opportunity to look back to 2,000 years ago and think of Jesus, the Messiah. And so our passage ends with Jesus hiding himself and leaving the temple. Um, Many have pointed out that this withdrawal of his presence from the temple meant judgment um, on them. It's, It's referring to God's removal of his presence, his blessing on these people, the Jews. Uh, His presence from the tabernacle, his glory once filled the tabernacle and later the temple, uh, but he left that. And God removed in uh, 1 Samuel, he removed his favor from King Saul. Um, Maybe one that I think a lot of people can think of right now is in Psalm 51 after King David slept with Bathsheba. And he makes that great confession of sin before God. In Psalm 51 and and he says Oh Lord take not your Holy Spirit from me after he sinned he feared God's rejection because of his sin that that God would remove his presence and that's the kind of indictment that's happening here in this passage on the Jews when Jesus left the temple left their presence and um, What's ironic about this is these priests and these teachers of the law, they thought they were driving out a heretic, a blasphemer. And instead, they were driving out God himself from their presence. It's a really sad note to end on. And heavy, right? These Jews here had the right to be children of God by their ethnicity. Paul weeps over that in Romans we read about. But the Jews here were disciples of Jesus. They were the great grandbabies of Abraham. And yet they were far off now. They weren't seeing things as we're supposed to see them. Faith in Christ. They all turn out to be, verse 34, slaves to sin. Verse 37, indifferent to Jesus' word. Verse 44, children of the devil. Verse 55, liars. Verse 59, guilty of mob tactics that eventually led to the murder of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Glory. Very heavy at the end. But for us to really think of, um, as Jesus kind of brings up, these people were not really his children. If they were, they would listen to his words. They would believe that he is the Messiah. Jesus is the only way to God. There's no other way. So, are we resting this morning? Are we trusting in Jesus's performance, his good works, and not our own? So that we would be counted as those who are righteous in him. Do we believe in God's promise to us this morning that if we trust in Jesus, We won't even see death. He's going to raise us from the dead. That's God's promise to us this morning in our passage. That should comfort us. Although it ends on a sad note, there's a better word that comes after Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We have redemption in Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've so clearly told us who you are, that you are the great I am. Father, we know that we don't trust in ourselves, we don't trust in however many I am's we can muster up to try to be right with you, to try to please you, to be accepted before you because you accept us and you love us already when we trust in your son who's done it all for us. Father, we thank you this morning for your good news. We ask that you would fill our hearts with thankfulness this morning as we worship you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.